I don't think any career path in military infantry is more associated with killing than a sniper. But how close to reality is that perception? Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Jonathan Taylor. JT was a Marine Scout sniper with multiple tours of duty in the Middle East before shifting to a job working with the Department of Veterans Affairs. His experiences overseas paint a picture that you may not have considered before because it's not the primary focus of any action movies. And maybe that contributes to the attitude that distance from a horrible event is proportional to the amount of mental trauma one develops. But that's a crazy thought to have. So join me as we learn more about this. Let's find a hidden position. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Taylor. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm absolutely so pleased to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little for the audience? All right, cool, man. So my name is Jonathan Taylor. I go by JT. Most everybody calls me JT. Most of my friends call me JT Money for some reason. I don't know where that nickname came from, but just can't escape it. So I'm JT Money to a lot of people. Um, (laughs) But I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, right near D.C. So basically, if you ask, you, you say D.C., I am a former Marine Marine Scout sniper, team leader, and chief scout. I did four combat deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Also, I'm a father of two young daughters, husband. To, my wife is um, active duty lieutenant colonel in the Army. So we've got a split household, Marines and Army. She keeps me in line, though. She's my sugar mama and my, my, my boss. And then um, I work for the government full-time uh, for the Department of Veteran Affairs as a realty specialist slash project manager and yeah that's that's the gist of what i do professionally and then my most recent endeavor is i'm the current executive vice president and coo of the marine scout sniper association and slotted to become the president and ceo starting january just about anything you want man i'm i'm an open book so yeah awesome well i mean let's start where it all started like when did you enlist so I enlisted in 2004. You know, I grew up in rural Mississippi, not a lot of opportunities, not a lot going on, and I grew up playing sports. Basically, that's the only way I survived through school was by being an athlete, getting pushed through each grade, basically. Yeah, so I went to college, walk on baseball scholarship. That didn't work out for me because, unfortunately, I didn't know how to be a student or go to class and dropped out of school. And always in the back of my mind, I knew I had the ultimate goal of becoming, being in the military at some point. I just wanted to try every other avenue first before I took that step. So I, you know, went, went the college route first. It wasn't for me. Started working. You know, that wasn't for me. I, I could feel myself getting caught up and trapped in my hometown if I would have stayed in that bubble, you know. And 9-11 happened my freshman year of college. And once 9-11 happened, I had immediate just like urge to go fight, like to be a person that put myself in between evil and innocent people. And so it was just like, I, I knew that was a calling at that point. And it was just like, which route do I want to go? How do I do it? You know, do I want to go in the Navy, be a Navy SEAL, 
Do I want to go in the Marine Corps, become a sniper or reconnaissance or infantry or whatever I'll do. I want to get in as quick as I can and get on the battlefield as quick as I can. And so that's basically what I did, man. I, I signed up for the, uh, I was, I was gung ho going to be a Mar Navy SEAL hundred percent. I was training for it. And then kind of the fear of the unknown stopped me from enlisting in the Navy because I was like, man, if something happens and I get injured in SEAL training, I'm stuck in the Navy. And it's two different worlds becoming a, being a SEAL and being a Navy, a regular sailor. And there wasn't really under any other jobs that interest me in the Navy besides being a SEAL. So I chose the Marine Corps because no matter what, I could still get in some kind of infantry type job that would put me in, in combat. So, yeah, went in gung-ho, man, went talked to the recruiter, said I want to leave as soon as possible. I was in debt. I was about to get kicked out of my apartment. <laughs> you know, I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, all right, hey, you qualify. We can get you out of here in 30 days. Like, let's do it. So I went to the uh, went to Paris Island, South Carolina for boot camp. And at that time, I was a little older than the regular recruits. I was 20, approaching 21. And um, and I already had some life experiences and some different things. And so boot camp wasn't difficult for me. It was more of a just a mind game, kind of suck it up and just get through it type thing it wasn't that difficult really but a lot of people did struggle with it man especially if you were young you know 18 just getting out of high school and you're coming straight in with no experience and not knowing what you're getting into um, but you know I, I played sports my whole life and been on very competitive teams and kind of knew what it was to kind of suffer a little bit you know yeah, a little bit of the and, difference uh, between like oh i've had somebody yell at me before this is just yeah. a little more extreme yeah it's just a little well it's just you can't go home at the end of the day you know, like that's the that's the issue. Like once you once you get on that school on that bus to take you to Paris Island, you know you're screwed. There's no turning back. You know, like you're not gonna see your family again or be in control of your own life for the next thirteen weeks. And for a lot of people that's that takes a mental toll. But for me it wasn't that bad. It was fine and I made it through boot camp, no issues, signed up for infantry, of course. I was gonna be just a basic O three infantry, that's what they call it, O three the O3 job series. And um, my goal is to go reconnaissance, to be a recon marine. And unfortunately, my recruiters didn't weren't quite honest with me, which go figure. And uh, if I would have known before I retook the ASVAB, the ASVAB is the entry test, right, to get into the military. And that kind of based off your scores from that kind of puts you in what kind of zone that you're available for job-wise. And I would want to be a reconnaissance marine, but you had to have a GT score of 105 or higher. My GT score was a 103 on my ASVAB, so I didn't qualify. And that's the only basically non-waverable thing is the GT score. So didn't get a chance to go to reconnaissance right out of my basic training, uh, but still went to infantry, went to infantry school, and chose the other hardest thing that I thought there was, which was machine gunner, because um, you had to carry the heavy machine guns and learn how to operate them. You know, all the machine gunners that I had seen were big, jacked-up you know, meatheads, and I was like, all right, I'll do that. Became a machine gunner, went through all that training, and then got assigned to the Fleet Marine Force as a in First Battalion, Second Marines, or one two they call it. And they had just got back from the deployment to Iraq. This was two thousand four, so Iraq was pretty hot and heavy. These guys had just got back from the deployment, and they were the majority of the whole battalion was on post deployment leave, but the guys that were staying back were all the injured guys, and that was my first welcome to. Uh, the Fleet Marine Corps is seeing a bunch of wounded dudes walking around the barracks with burns on their bodies and 
amputees, wheelchairs. It's like, Shit, this ain't no joke. You know, I'm going next six or eight months, I'll be headed over there. It's a kind of eye-waking experience. And all those guys are super disgruntled assholes and yelling at you. Get me here, boo. You know, get the fuck over here. And just, you know, you try to avoid them at all costs. But yeah, went through, went through that and got, of course, right off the bat, I was a little older, a little bit more mature, so I got assigned as a team leader kind of right off the bat and never had anybody, ne- never had any issues with, like, the senior Marines, like, messing with me or nothing. I stood up to them pretty quickly anyway, but I had a really great group of guys coming through with me. We all came into the fleet together. We're still super close to this day, and our first deployment, we went uh, on a MU, they call it, which is Marine Expeditionary Unit, which is basically a a naval strike force. So you've got like a, a Marine battalion of infantry and attachments that is floating around the med Mediterranean. And you've got one that's floating around the Pacific at all times. And we were sent to the med Had some pretty cool port calls, Rome and Spain and some different spots. We got to go and party. And- Sounds like you kind of got, you know, some <laughs> of that pitch, like you said, you know, some of the, the recruiting tactics can be, a little shady a little unclear and one of the things that you hear a lot is like oh you get to travel the world yeah and like you actually got to travel a little bit very lucky man very like for for your first deployment to get to go on a med float like that was you thank your recruiter a little bit like yeah thanks bro you know you, you weren't lying about everything and so yeah we went you know we went to italy went to france spain africa um, floated all over, um, but we did go into Iraq. That was our main mission. We went into Iraq for about ninety days, I think, and went right into an active combat zone. Relieved a basically relieved the army unit that was that had an area of operations that they had been monitor that they had been maintaining, and they were getting a lot of action there. And the army operates a little different than the Marines do when it comes to combat operations and how we respond to threats and being shot at and engaged and stuff, they would kind of just stay away from those roads, those streets where the bad guys were, because they just were trying to stay out of the gunfights and just kind of to hold the area down and win the hearts and minds. But when the Marine Corps came in, we were ready to, all right, where are you getting shot at from? Okay, that's where we're going first. You know, what road is the worst road? That's where we're going first. So first, after the first month, we basically shut down the whole area. There wasn't a lot of action. Because the first month we pretty much cleaned house and they realized, you know, that the Marines were different than the army, that the, the unit was different, camouflage was different, uniforms, our gear. And then once they realized, all right, these guys are here to fight, they kind of got out of the area. Um, so after the first 45 days of that deployment, it was pretty, pretty relaxed, I would say. I mean, there's still some IEDs here or there, still some indirect fire, like rockets shot at our buildings and stuff. We did lose a few Marines, a few close Marines to me. We did lose. Um, a lot of casualties, but overall it was a fairly light deployment. But while I was there, I got to see the snipers like moving in and out of the patrol bases. And I was like, oh my God, those snipers, you know, because you don't know anything about them really. As a young Marine, um, you don't know much about the sniper platoon. It's just like this mythical group of guys that get to wear different gear, get to dress different, get to go out on missions by themselves and come back in don't really have anybody harping on them, kind of on their own program. Um, but I linked up with one of the guys that I remembered from boot camp, I seen him. I was like, oh, you're with the sniper? He's like, yeah, I'm with the sniper platoon. 
He's like, it's awesome. As soon as we get back, you should try. You should try out. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm definitely going to do. So, as soon as we got back from that deployment, me and another guy, we cut our post-deployment leave short to do the indoctrin, the indoc for sniper platoon. And basically, to try out for sniper platoon, you have to. They take basically the top one percent of all the guys in the infantry battalion, and you know you got to be, you got to want to do something more. You know, you got to want to have that drive. You know, it's difficult. Um, it's a higher caliber of Marine that you're going to be around every day. Um, so it pushes you to be greater and it's more small unit tactics. And you're very close, close knit, close knit platoon, close knit group. They take a lot of the um, bullshit out. It's kind of like the big boy rules, you know, like they don't have formations and go to the gym on your own. So all that was very appealing to me, of course. And our indoc. So the indoc for sniper platoon is about, it's anywhere from a week to two weeks long, just depending on how they want to run it. But ours was one week long. We had about 25 guys show up out of the battalion. And we finished the indoc with eight guys that didn't quit. And they kept seven of us. And out of that seven, those guys were all complete studs. And once again, we're still connected to this day. Well, and that's kind of a thing. You know, I think you see it and the normal person does not like recognize what's going on there, which is like the sense of community and like the crew that you're building. Like you guys are spending way more time around each other than the average person spends around their coworkers in a way more serious setting and training heavy environment. Like there is something to be said for the community building that is going on in the military. And it is extremely close. Yeah, and you see that, you know, when guys get out and you see all these veteran organizations and you see all these groups and you see all these things and, you know, vets really stick together. And it's, it's kind of like any other job field, you know, police, law, um, fire, you know, paramedics. I mean, it's it's really hard to relate to people that didn't go through what you went through. And I think that's in life in general, you know. I mean, it, it's, it's probably really easy for you to make friends with a fellow paramedic or somebody that served on the fire department or something, than it is an accountant, you know, <laughs> I mean, you just got a lot more in common. You've got the same, got the same attributes, you know, you want to help. You're willing to put yourself in a little bit of danger for other people. You're willing to go a little bit above and beyond to help someone out. And that's, that's kind of how it is in a sniper platoon. You know, not only are you getting a higher caliber of Marine, you're getting the Marines that wanted to do more than just be a part of an infantry platoon or wanted to do a little bit more than the average Marine. They wanted to push themselves a little more, you know, they're a little more, they're a little, I wouldn't say smarter, but you know, they're maybe a little more smarter. They're a little, just got a little bit more drive. Um, and they're willing to face discomfort to, to get there and to get that title. And like I said, we were best friends. We had a, great platoon that whole platoon was just stacked full of hard chargers but basically i went right to sniper school as soon as the end doc was over had like a week to kind of get to know what's going on the platoon and then we had some slots for sniper school and two of the guys there were two guys that had been in the platoon for a whole deployment new guys that were waiting for their slots to go and they were they were slotted to go but one of the guys ended up getting a dui like the week before the weekend before so basically the platoon sergeant platoon commander called me in and like, Hey, look, you're out of everybody. We just got out of the end doc. You're next up on the list. So here you go. You're going to sniper school next week. 
please try to learn all you can before you go. Go take out a credit card on base so you can go buy all the gear list. <laughs> Good luck. So I was just thrown right into the fire. Yeah, I struggled. It was very difficult. One of the hardest schools I ever did as far as, you know, mentally. It was very tough because I didn't know a lot of the basic knowledge. A lot of the guys that go to sniper school, you've already been in a sniper platoon for like a year or you did a deployment. So you've been learning all that knowledge, building it up, getting ready for school. I didn't have any of that. I just kind of jumped right in. Struggled for sure, but I made it, survived. So what kind of things, like what is, and we don't have to get too specific just for the sake of some confidentiality, but you know, what kind of things do they put you through in sniper school? Well, first off, the Marine Sniper School is 13 weeks, by far the longest and most in-depth sniper school out of any of the branches. I think the Army's is five weeks, you know, so just let you know what we're learning. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize that being a Marine Scout sniper, one of the smallest portions of your job is actually shooting. However, when it comes time to shoot, it's the most important part of your job. But, but getting yourself to the position to shoot and out of the position to safety is part of the biggest job. It's the hardest part. So learning advanced navigation, advanced land navigation skills, map reading, compass reading, knowing how to to get yourself to locations undetected, move undetected, knowing how to choose a proper height site, how to choose a proper location to set up, um, camouflage techniques, how to camouflage yourself, how to set up in an urban environment, and still camouflage yourself like through a window so people can't see you from the outside, but you can see out. Things like that, how to set up early warning devices and buildings in the field, and how to a lot of advanced communication, like radio communication stuff, because if you don't have communication, you're you're dead in the water. So really a lot of training goes into the communication portion, how to work the radios, and how to report and observe information. So observe, observe the battlefield and how to accurately report that, what you're seeing back to the command. You're the eyes and the ears of the battalion commander, basically. You're the forward reconnaissance. You're the observers. If you have a, a battle or a mission that's going to kick off, the snipers always go out first and set in position, kind of observe the battlefield, send that report back like, hey, this is what we're seeing. You know, we do some route recon, so we'll help figure out what's a good route for trucks to move in to different areas, all kinds of stuff. Call for fire, controlling airstrikes, controlling artillery, controlling mortars on the ground. Um, so it, a lot goes into it besides just sitting there and pulling the trigger. I mean, you know, hell, you got a $15,000, $20,000 gun set up. When you got your scope, your gun, everything's all tricked out. Basically, you, you can put a monkey on that gun and hit a, hit a target. You know, so it's just knowing how to do all those things to get you to that position. That's the uh, the hardest part. Well, and you'd kind of addressed in there, like every branch has a sniper team, but not every branch is built the same. Yeah, well, and every, well, and also every branch's snipers have a different mission. You know, like for instance, the, the Army sniper teams, the Army sniper school down in Fort Benning, Georgia, you know, they put out hundreds of snipers a year. The Marine Corps may put out 100 per year, and that's out of four schoolhouses. But we're putting out quality guys that are that don't have to take a lot of follow-on courses. You're getting it all in, in, enveloped into one course. The Army Sniper School, they focus on shooting a lot, not so much the employment piece that, that we focus on. 
so it's just it's just a different mission. We we operate traditionally in a four man teams or in Iraq. Traditionally, when it was started, it was two man teams. You know, back in World War II, Vietnam, you had a shooter spotter. But you know, as the as the battlefield changed and operations changed and tactics and things started, you know, morphing, you kind of realized that sending two guys out by himself is pretty dangerous. You know, if, if you do get into something, you're screwed. You don't have enough ass to protect yourself. So we bumped it up to four-man teams in Iraq. And out of that four-man team, you had your shooter spotter. And then you also had your radio operator and your security guy who was using machine gun. So between that four-man team, you've got a lot more ammunition, a lot more ass behind you to get yourself out of a shit situation if you need to. And then in Afghanistan, it bumped up even higher to six to eight-man teams because the distance from your friendly lines, you were having to go out further. It was a lot easier to get cut off from your support. So basically we had a, there was a theater wide rule that you couldn't leave friendly lines with less than eight guys. So it starts getting to where your sniper, sniper team is basically a squad and you've got two teams. You mutually support each other, but yeah, it's a lot of ass to have though. I mean, you feel a lot safer for sure. It's just a lot harder to hide. You know, it's a lot harder to to do the actual clandestine covert type missions when you got eight dudes. But you can still pull it off, but you're not sitting in place long because you're going to get detected. Yeah. Well, and that seems like, you know, quite a lot of uh, stress in a situation where you're saying like, hey, we're taking these guys away from our friendly line you know, into unknown sometimes into locations we might be unfamiliar with. We're trying to set up, you know, like you said, early detection devices because we might be here for a little bit. We don't know. We can't watch every, every side of us like that. That seems like quite a lot of stress to be put on every single operation. Oh yeah. It's a lot of stress. I mean, so, you know, in Iraq we would do in Iraq, it was very common to do 48, 72 hour missions. We'd do one, we'd come back, rest for 24 hours, refit, get the next mission, go out 72 hours, 48 hours. In Afghanistan, it's a lot more common to do 24-hour missions just because the, the terrain was rougher to move in, and it's just very hard to go undetected out there. Much more active opposition. More active opposition, but also everyone's in on it. You know, Even though they may claim they're not, they're all in on it. So, it's just hard to hide, go undetected, because they just will send kids out to go look for you. Hey, go go try to find snipers today somewhere. Let us know where they're at, you know. And they throw grenades at you or whatever. <laughs> you just, know. just a you know, just a, a super casual grenade. Sometimes there's grenades. That's my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, to them it's funny. It's fun. They don't realize it's just like here, you know, if if the US is getting if your neighborhood is getting attacked. You know, you pay the neighborhood, the neighbor kid that you know is a little asshole. Hey, come here, dude. Hey, here's 20 bucks. Go dig a hole over there by that street. Put this package in that hole and then lay this wire across the across the middle of the ground. I'll give you 20 bucks. All right, cool. And the next thing you know, there's an IED in place. Yeah. You know, or, hey, somebody called me. They said that there's snipers over in Miss Johnson's house. Go sneak up behind the house and take these two grenades, throw them in a the window. Here's 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course, any kid would. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, of course. 
Speaking on things that are a lot less destructive and dangerous, the show sponsor today is once again Magic Mind. It's no grenade, but I suppose you could pretend it is. Rip the top off of one of these little shot bottles, yell, fire in the hole, and prepare for a rush that causes a lot less shaking. That's because this scientific wonder juice isn't just another product packed to the gills with caffeine. Instead, it leans on its all-natural ingredients for more than just a spike of energy. They keep you focused, in the moment, and improve your memory over the course of the whole day. If you sometimes have a little goldfish brain like me, Magic Mind can help you keep on task without wondering why you walked into a room or who the present I just wrapped was supposed to be for. <laughs> no more unwrapping and rewrapping presents for me. So if you want in on this game changer, they have a great ongoing deal for my audience. If you buy Magic Mind this week by going to magicmind.com dumb or using the code DUMB20 at checkout, you'll get 20% off anything on any purchase, no matter the size. So go buy it now. Support the show, and more importantly, support yourself. That's magicmind.com slash dumb, code DUMB20, D-U-M-B-2-0. Now, brace for things to get a little more serious. I mean, it's not other than the fact that you know it's a war zone but like if you you eliminate like the lifestyle difference of living you know in combat it's not so crazy to you know extrapolate that from like here in america especially near the fourth of july we have a lot of explosives they're just colorful and kids especially like when i was a kid love them i'm like you mean i can light a thing and throw it and it blows up and makes a bunch of noise and light cool Sign me up. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, when I say they're all in on it, it's the same here. You know, these communities where you've got the drug dealers and everybody knows who the drug dealer is. Everybody knows who's selling drugs. Everybody knows who's buying drugs. Everybody knows who's funding stuff. Everybody knows who got the money. Um, everybody knows who shot Johnny, you know, but they don't say anything. It's the same unless you can offer them money. You know, most just like in just like in the U.S., most people, if you can bring them in and offer them something in return they'll they'll squeal on anybody it's the same there it's just it's a winless situation but it, it was you know we we had purpose being there I'll, I'll never say that we didn't need to be there we did a lot of good and we have to honor those who didn't make it back or those that were injured so i'm never going to say that we shouldn't have been in either war because there was a lot of good things that happened from both conflicts oif and oef and as far as a military member we're doing what we're told, going where we're told to go. End of that's it. End of you tell me to go here and do this, I'm gonna go there and do that. We did our job, did our mission, and you know, a lot of people pay the ultimate price. A lot of people are living walking result, you know, dealing with it from the rest of their life, but it's still don't take away from the fact that the good things that we did there, the reason we did it. I mean, certainly, and you have to you know, I, I think especially in the moment, like you have to know that you're not like you're not just being thrown out there for nothing. Like you have to have that resolve at least while you're there to know that like, this is the right thing and I'm doing something with a purpose. You can't just like, well, here's another pointless day. Let me go out here because that's not a mindset that's going to make it back. Yeah. Well, and it's very easy to get into that mindset when you are there, because especially if guys, you know, are getting hurt and you're like, 
we got to go out again today. We're going out tonight. Why? What's the point? Just to get somebody hurt? And especially if you don't kill the guys or you don't know who did it or you can't find it, you know? A lot of satisfaction when you have a successful mission, you know? But So it's just, uh, you know, one of those things. But, yeah, you're right. You, you definitely have to make sure that you're talking about those things constantly with your guys and, you know, hey, I know it sucks. We're going out for each other. We're going to go out for each other today. This mission is dumb. I got it. But we're going to watch out for each other. As soon as I see something shady that doesn't make sense, I'll pull this back in. And I was never afraid to tell a CO no. You know, or no, this doesn't make sense. My team, or recommend a different way. Or recommend a different plan. And sometimes they, a lot of times they listen, especially if they respect you and know that you're you're coming with experience. But a lot of times they will respect your decision and, and change up some plans for you. Especially if you come with the option another option, you know, alternative. Um, most of my best missions and most successful missions where I had really good enemy kills that made a, made a difference came off of that, came off of me making the recommendation to let's do this a little bit different than how we did this. And if you'll just let me do this, I promise you it's going to work, you know, give me a chance. And then it usually worked. Not all the time, but sometimes. And there's a couple of things in there. Like, you know, number one, the, the ability and I've heard this from a couple of people before, just in my, you know, talking to people in life where they're like, yeah, you know, you just kind of get used to some of it. Like it's abnormal. You're like, yeah, I got shot at, but nothing exploded. Yeah. There was, you know, mortars, but they weren't that close. Like whatever it was, there's just a little bit of like, that's crazy to the average person <laughs> to be like, if I got shot at today, I'd be pretty upset about it. <laughs> But, you know, at some point you're like, yeah, but that's, you know, every day I'm getting shot at every day. People are trying to kill me. I had to move past that to find the abnormal. And a lot of people, you know, that I've heard talking in documentaries and things before have said, like, that was part of their drive to keep going back was to keep being with the other, you know, members of your community, members of your team saying like, hey, yeah, I'm on leave or I'm back home for whatever reason. Like, I want to get right back there because otherwise I know they're being shot at without me. Yeah, to some fear of missing out, too, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of people, too, that talk about OIF and OEF, just like anything in life, a lot of people over-exaggerate a lot, you know, and because that's what sells, that's what gets attention, right? Um, but, you know, there were there were weeks in Afghanistan and Iraq, where we didn't do anything, where nobody was shot at, nobody was blown up, there was no action. We would, there's times where I would stay in bed for maybe 20 hours straight watching movies and eating, you know, Pop Tarts and Doritos from care packages. You know, then there's times where I wouldn't sleep for three or four days straight, you know. Um, so when you're in that environment, it doesn't equal out to you. It's good. It just doesn't matter. You don't think about it. But a lot of guys will, you hear a lot of people that really talk it up. Like, oh, yeah, we're getting shot at every day. It's just not true. Most people's experience is not like that. Do you but, find some of that came back? Like some of the, you know, like if I'm not busy, I'm really not busy for an extended period of time. And if I keep myself busy, I will keep myself busy for like way longer than I should. Yeah. And I think that's what some of those things that have been ingrained in you lead to some of the issues that, that vets have when they come back and start back to a normal life. You know, it's just like a paramedic. You said you did paramedic for over a decade. 
you know, it's, it's hard to adjust to break that sleep cycle and to break that, the routine of, oh, guess what? I'm off day. I'm off work for three days this week. I'm not going to do shit for three days because guess what? I got to work the next two days straight and I'm going to sleep until 3 p.m. And it's hard to break that cycle, you know, for, for us or for, for me, you know, I find myself every year looking for some opportunity to take a, to do something that's going to take me a couple months to accomplish. You know what I mean? Like, like right now, I'm, my next goal endeavor is to get my skydiving license. I want to get my class A skydiving license. My wife's like, no, you don't, there's no need for you to do that. Why do you want to do that? It's because it gives me something, a goal, and then something to spend, focus my energy on. So that's probably my next endeavor. But you know, I've done jujitsu, I've done Muay Thai, I've done scuba diving, got my license for scuba diving, shooting, you name it. And there's always something else that pops up that you want to do. To, all right, now I need to focus on this. Now I need to focus my energy on this. And, and when it comes to, that's one thing, but another, and to talk about something else as far as sleep issues, for me getting back, when I first, when I first came back from my last deployment in Afghanistan, that's when I was transitioning out of the military. And I was starting to become, trying to deal with normal life, normal sleep, normal days, normal nights. And when you're, when you first come back, you know, especially as a sniper, you're basically living and sleeping on edge 24-7. And you've always got somebody that's got your back that you can depend on. You don't have to worry about. If I only have, if we've got two hours where I can get some sleep, those two hours that I'm going to go to sleep are going to be deep, deep sleep. Comfort to where I don't have to worry. I know my buddy is on the radio watching. I can just let myself sleep, you know. But if you're in a different team or you're in a situation where you're always in charge, you can never really just let yourself fully relax and sleep because if something happens, you have to be the one that responds. You're in charge. So when you're trying to, when you get home and your wife and you're, you're in charge of the household, it's hard to just let yourself sleep and relax because for me, I would think that I would think that there's like basically a group of guys outside of my house, watching my house, like stacking up on the door, like getting ready to come in at some point. You know, and they're like, hey, we, this is the guy we've been looking for. He's a sniper. You know, remember he's trained. So when we come in, we got to do this, that, you know, all those types of scenarios are going through my head all night. So I, I need, I would close my eyes and then, okay, if something happens, I hear a noise, I can reach. How far do I have to reach to grab my gun? Boom. Oh, that's too far. I need it right here. Okay. And now, which way is my gun laying? Is it because I'm left handed? So I don't need to sleep on my right side. I need to make sure or my left side, I make sure, sure I sleep on my right side. So I can reach over and grab with my left hand. But wait a second, my gun's turned down. I need it turned upwards where as soon as I grab, I'm on the trigger and I can spin. <laughs> you know, like you need all these, this going through your mind all night while you're trying to sleep. And then you hear a little noise, you know it's nothing. But you're like, oh, this is a chance for me to practice. I hear a noise, you know, boom. All right, I was, I needed to adjust that. It's not right. I, that didn't work right. I need to make sure my gun is turned this way instead. It's just crazy, man. That, that's what I dealt with. And that's what a lot of guys deal with, I believe. Yeah, I heard somebody say that uh, it's kind of like if you programmed, you know, your phone, like your phone runs programs. And when you go through the military, like there is now a military program that's on there. And the problem is you can't uninstall it when you get home. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just there and it's always going to be running. And yeah. now... You know, the problem is like 
you're doing it without your team. Like this is just your family. This is what, you know, normal life is supposed to be like. And that community that you had up until now is just kind of absent, not because they want to be or they have to be. It's just, that's how normal life is. Everybody went back to their family. And so we can't just, you know, be there like we were before. Yeah. And I think it's, there's two opposite spectrums of that too. You got the guys that cut it off completely and just let themselves turn into just a big bag of shit. Or you got the guys that figure out a way to take those good qualities and lessons learned and things that you did while you were in and fit them in to a regular life to where it's not adversely affecting you, but helping you. And then you, of course, you've got the guys that just say, it's like I've never been in the military. Forget it all. I'm just going to drop it all and be basically the same person I was before I came in, but just a lot more stress now. Yeah. So it goes both ways. And I, I see it from my friends. You know, I've got friends that let themselves go to where they're 300 and something pounds now. You wouldn't even recognize. Them. You know, not that I'm just a huge proponent of fitness and Mr. Fitness myself, but I don't, I'm not going to let myself go that way, you know, like that much. But you can tell and see those guys and they're miserable. They're depressed. They're miserable. And it's because once nobody is holding you accountable anymore, some people just, just let it go, man. So, you can't count on that. You have to count hold yourself accountable some way. And that's what we try to, or I try to tell people now is that you have to set yourself a goal and hold yourself accountable. One thing in your life has to be a non-negotiable. And that needs to be something health related, whether it's I'm going to walk 30 minutes every day. I don't care what's going on with my life. I don't care if I'm sick, if I got this or that, if I didn't get to do it during the day and now it's bedtime, then I'm still going to go walk my 30 minutes, you know? non-negotiable with yourself or I'm going to do 50 push-ups a day, something. Because if you don't take care of yourself physically, then you're not going to be right mentally. If you don't take care of yourself mentally, you're not going to be right physically. So it's 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 a combined thing and it's a group effort. If you're not doing either one of those, then you're, you're just not going to be your best self. You're not going to be a good partner, you're going to be a father, co-worker, anything. So just doing something every day. Do you think that that you know the the loss of structure the loss of your community the loss of the job you were working previously do you think those all kind of play into how ptsd develops or do you think it is mostly just the experiences you have you know <laughs> while in high stress environments yeah i think everything you know and there's research been going on going for years and nobody knows and you, know, you can look at any any doctor podcast research Everybody's got a different theory. But, you know, one thing that, that I have noticed is most guys that end up, for instance, let's talk about suicide. Majority of guys that end up committing suicide, if you'd have seen them day, the day before they committed suicide, you would have no clue because they were carrying on life as normal. Maybe even joking, having fun, celebrating a birthday, whatever. So it's not, it's not the same with everybody, and you can't really – there's no – way to put everybody in the same box completely different and you know everybody's ptsd is not crazy combat trauma related trauma is trauma however you want to draft it so you know a nurse a police officer high school student that gets assaulted you know just different trauma is trauma in any form it doesn't matter what form it comes in so everybody deals with it differently and i don't know exactly how to address it with veterans but it seems like to me that Veterans have a more a higher percentage or more apt to suicides than other professions. 
And why is that? I don't know. Is it because something is already kind of ingrained in them DNA wise? Is it the type of person that wants to join the military? Is it something already that's kind of inside them that leaves them more susceptible to it? I don't know. But that's one thing that I'm kind of working on. And one reason I started trying to do these podcasts and get my message out there more so that I can learn myself and try to take those those lessons and different things that I'm learning into my current association to help scout snipers. My, my current association I'm the vice president of, you know, the USMC Scout Sniper Association. We're the only nonprofit scout sniper, only nonprofit organization for scout snipers in the world. So we only focus on scout snipers and their family, Marine scout snipers and their family. And people reach out with support requests. And it's either, you know, some guys are struggling with PTSD, they need help. Some guys are struggling with finances. You know, somebody might have came down with cancer and now their wife can't work because they're taking care of her. So they need help paying for childcare, or all these different things. And we review every case and figure out a way to attack it and help. Sometimes monetary funds is what has, is what, what needs to be done. You have to just help them out financially. And sometimes it's linking them up with another sniper in their area that can help mentor them and get them back on track. Um, or hooking them up with the inpatient treatment program for some guys. We've done a little bit of everything. That's what I'm passionate about right now um, is, especially when I'm slated to pick over as president in January, is trying to really grow that aspect of our association and bring on more of a diverse group, a team, like a, you know somebody that wants to volunteer their time as a clinician, deals with PTSD and that kind of thing, so we have them kind of on call if we need them. So we can send people to them, you know, not necessarily, not that we're going to pay for this big medical group or nothing, but people that want to volunteer their time, you know, Hey, I'm a psych. I deal with PTSD. I'd love to help your association out. If you got anybody that needs to call me, that type of thing. And also having somebody that's like a social worker, you know, on call that kind of help us build a support team for my association. So we don't have one. It's just basically us and whatever networking we can do to find people help. But the support requests here lately are very diverse from people that are vets that are homeless with a 13 year old kid in his custody and he's trying to figure out what to do to, you know, that's, that's social, social work type issues, you know, and then guys that are just struggling and can't get right and need are ready to break down. So we had to get them some kind of counseling and get them in some type of VA treatment program. So that's, that's one thing that I'm really trying to focus on this next year is building a team of those type of people around us so that I have them to assist. Well, and I'm glad. Congratulations on the the move to president. And I, I hope all the best for you because you're doing an amazing work. Is there something that is just fundamentally lacking, like something that should be provided, you know, to, to veteran services that just is missing and for no other reason, just like it's just a space that has no support? I think that, I think units overall, um, when people are going through the transition phase, need to spend more mandatory time helping people uh, with financial planning, financial management, and reintegrating into family life and daily life, also assisting with, with jobs. So that when you step out of the military, within the next 30, 45-day period, once your benefits start to hit, like your veteran, your VA benefits, your disability benefits, they start to hit about 30 days, 45 days after you get out. Once that starts to hit, you're already set up with a new job, new career, you know, and you've got 
like six months of counseling that's already pre-staged for you to help you get through that transition phase. A lot of guys stress on that. You know, what's next? Well, you know, how am I going to get paid? Just my disability alone, I can't support my family, those, those types of things. Because we've pretty much got the Veterans Association fixed as far as where your your benefits are ready for you now. They've kind of addressed that program, but just making it more mandatory instead of, hey, if you want to go to this financial class next week, you can go to this financial class. No, you need to, hey, everybody will go to this financial class. Everybody will go to this mental health class. That's just an idea that I have, but. Yeah. So like, this is your next assignment is financial class next week and therapy the week after. Like, yeah. You're, your do- next you're, three you're going <laughs> next three months. This is what's lined up for you. And you have to attend everything. You have to pass everything. You have to get signed off on everything before we let you get out and make sure that you're clear, good to go before we let you out. What is that transition time? Like when you've, you've finished your term of service, like how long is that transition out time? Uh, for a lot of people, it's three to six months, probably. I mean, because once once you hit that mark to where you've only got that much time left, the unit really can't afford to invest time on you, training, and involve you in what they got going on, because you're not going to be around, and your mentality is already done. You're already dropped your pack, and you're. I got six months left. You, you know, like. Yeah. So, but that's. That's what happens is guys just get sent off to the wayside. You got six months left. All right, you're you're officially a short timer. You're gonna go to this barracks here and live with all the short timers. You're gonna have a formation once a day to make sure you're not dead. And then uh just stay out of the way, please. Don't be a cancer for the rest of the race. Yeah. You know, that's basically how it goes. Yeah, I was just thinking like they give you, you know, thirteen week boot camp, right? Your introduction period. I'm like, there should be thirteen weeks that is your outro camp where they're like, Hey, here's normal society time. But Jonathan, thank you for being here. I've appreciated your time immensely. I know you're a very busy man, so I'll let you go. Uh, if you want to tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find more of your stuff, go ahead. Cool. So, yeah, guys, thanks thanks a lot for having me on. Um, I always love talking about military and vets and what I got going on. Yeah, so the association that I'm a part of, the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association, our website is scoutsniper.org. Please, if, you, if you're, you're interested in attending any of our events or helping in any way with any monetary monetary donations or any way that you can. Our main mission is to provide support services for Marine snipers and their families in any way that we can. So we always need help, always right. need assistance. That's JT, it. again, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time immensely. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. I know we covered a lot of stuff here, but I hope everyone takes what JT said to heart when he said, trauma is trauma. It really doesn't matter how you developed it, so long as you can remember that it is just as valid for you to have it as anyone else, and that you seek help. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And especially going through these seasons, where having a little helping hand can make all the difference. Speaking of the season, it's almost halfway through the last month of the year, and things are looking promising behind the scenes. Here are some updated rankings. Number one, the United States, led by New York, South Carolina, and Oregon. Number two, Germany, still battling the U.S. for number one, with Berlin topping the internal leaderboard. Number three, the United Kingdom, with England now way ahead of the others. Number four, Australia, desperately holding on thanks to New South Wales. 
At number five, Canada, almost back from the dead, led by previous powerhouse Ontario. That's it for this week. Have a great week, a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here for the next episode. Until that next episode, please do all those things that help the show grow. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media platforms if you want to reach me personally. But most importantly, stay dumb.